0: This is Mental Reality with Dr. Beach. I'm Dr. Beach and today we're here with a special guest, the legendary Henrietta Alves, who is an entertainment staple in New Orleans, performing at such various places as the well-known Pat O'Brien's Piano Bar for the last 37 years until recently during the COVID pandemic, performing at the Saints Games, Jazz Fest, you name it. So you'll have to check her out there but today she's here to talk about her upcoming book entitled Good Lessons from a Really Bad Example. Welcome, Henrietta. Wonderful being your friend and so glad to have you here.
1: I am so happy to be here. I'm honored. Thank you so much.
0: Now, Henrietta, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast is, as you'll know, the title of the podcast is Mental Reality. And what I thought um, through your life, you'd be able to help, um, help teach us today is looking at some of those mental realities, and how we can really perform reality checks. And I know that in your book, you're focused on a number of different areas, including time management, money management, and health management and well-being. And we're going to focus mainly today, particularly on mental health and well-being. But I thought, why don't we start with time management? Because that is an area where a lot of people really struggle. And you'll often hear people talking about feeling that in organizing their day-to-day lives they feel very scattered and they have difficulty doing things like prioritizing various tasks what tips and strategies have you used and applied to to make yourself better in that area
1: i am a visual person so i've learned to write everything down some people can put it in in their iphone in places like that mine literally is old school pen and paper but pre printed checklist and that's how I get through the day that's how I get through every project is literally checklist and then as long as I have checked off each item I'm not so stressed because then I know I've done everything I plan to do. And then how long does it take you to do those? Because
0: one of the other things is, you know, how long it can take doing some of these tasks to get yourself, you know, ready or get yourself on time.
1: Exactly. That's that's part of it, is that I will put the item, and if it really is time-related, I put beside it 15 minutes, 10 minutes, and... I subtract. I mean, it's really consuming. But then in the end, I know that I've allowed, whereas before I thought, oh, I can get ready and get there and do it in 45 minutes. Now I realize it takes me an hour and a half. And it's just the reality of seeing it in writing and the reality of how long it really takes. It's not going to take me three minutes to get there. It's going to take me 20 minutes. So that has helped me to see it in writing. And do you ever lose the list? Is that ever a problem? Probably because <laughs> I am very, very distracted. So I probably do, but d- generally the list I keep in notebooks. So if you're ever around me, I don't, I used to use folders. Now it's all notebooks and, and it is prioritized by what has to be done today, what I should be doing daily, what has to be done this week, and so on and so forth. So generally they're in a notebook that's close by somewhere.
0: Okay. And one of the things you'll know a lot of people struggle with is punctuality. And now, you know, we have smartphones, so it's not like the old days, but still there are many people who are chronically late and they're so late. And sometimes you think that almost they think it's permissible because they leave you a message, you know, or send you a text message saying, oh, by the way, I'm running 30 minutes. But at the end of the day, I mean, being chronically late is disrespectful of the other person's time.
1: Yes, indeed. And I have to say, look at the title of my book again. I was late for everything starting in elementary school. I remember even my parents couldn't get me to school on time. And that is where I came up with the checklist. And even though I've been at this one job 37 years, I still had to remind myself, stop what you're doing and get ready to go to work. Even as you pointed out, being late for someone else is so disrespectful so of their time and things that they need to be doing. And uh, even texting to say, I'm going to be late, if it's timely, that's fine, but not not up to the last minute, oh, I'll be there in 30 minutes, as you, as you said, we've said, then you have to deal with other people that you've inconvenienced, so for me, I don't want to do that to people anymore. And uh, so I have my checklist, and and I use it if I'm going to dinner, wherever I'm going, I do my checklist.
0: Right. So that's great. In your book, you cover how to kind of organize yourself, how to manage time. Absolutely. Now, another area where many of us struggle is in what you call money management. I mean, I guess one way of thinking about money management is it's kind of the balance of, you know, what money's coming in, and what money's going out and that's you can look at it from both perspectives
1: it's a two-pronged goal is one either you have an income or you're preparing to have an income because if someone's in college or a trade school you're preparing to have an income it's the basic covering food clothing and shelter right it's basic as time
0: Now, one of the things I know, and you know, you work in the entertainment industry, there are many people who are very passionate and skilled in entertainment, and that's what they want to make as their living. But that can be very
1: challenging to do, more so even than, you know, many other living. Exactly. Any of the what I call alternative careers, be it artist, writer, musician, name it. If there's not a corporation, you can simply go for an application you're more or less doing it on your own you're really taking a gamble so my and I still know musicians who are in their 50s who who are are dreaming of being a great star one day the reality is it's the harder and harder, the older you get. If you haven't become a star by now, the odds are you're not. So it becomes your livelihood or a passion, a hobby, a dream. If you're not making an income from that passion, that dream, it is still a hobby. Do it. It enhances your life. But don't confuse it that it is your income are going to be your income.
0: Right. And you can't mistake. That doesn't mean giving up on your passion. Never. Or your dreams. You
1: just modify it. You do it on the weekends. You do something else that fulfills that part of you that, you know, you do really well to is just not bringing in money.
0: Right. And, you know, we're all special and we all grow up, hopefully, with, you know, our parents teaching us that we're special. And one of the challenges I know that people will experience is it's very hard to get an accurate and objective assessment of your skills and talents. And that kind of brutal reality check, if you will, um, sometimes is what people need
1: absolutely
0: so h- h- how do you recommend Henrietta? if someone you know has been told they have a lot of talent they're very passionate about wanting to pursue something in music or the arts um, but they're trying to weigh you know whether they really have what it takes or it's going to happen for them you know and be able to be a money maker for them you know
1: how could someone go about figuring that out? One thing is going back to that brutal honesty with yourself. The people at church love my singing. My parents love my singing. My high school friends love my singing. Am I really that great or am I good? To make it in these fields that I mentioned, you have to be great. And you have to have a check with yourself. Am I really great or am I just really good? And in my case, I decided to go on a fact-finding tour and I went from New York, Memphis to New York to LA, and I got both opinions, but the good opinions outweighed the bad opinions, and uh so I decided I was pretty good. So and, wait, tell me a little bit, so what was the fact-finding tour? What did you do? I went to uh recording studios like Willie Mitchell's in Memphis, Tennessee. And he thought I was so great that he cut a demo for me and he gave me names of people to talk to in L.A. And then I went to New York, the same thing. I went into the music factory, I think was the name of the place. It was famous people were recording upstairs, but they had places where lesser people could go. And I got the same kind of feedback of people saying, I'm going to call some people for you and play this demo and in Los Angeles and see what happens. And uh, so I went out to L.A. I went to open mics where anybody can go sing and do their compos- compositions. And the other people participating would come to me and say, I want you to sing my songs. So all all of that made me think, well, maybe I am a little special. Right, and that was fact-finding in that they were strangers.
0: They weren't your family strangers, members or loved ones.
1: absolutely, Yes. And
0: I mean, another, it seems to me in the arts, oftentimes people who kind of, you know, become celebrities in it or who make money in it or a career out of it, they do tend to start out, for the most part, quite young. And you will see oftentimes that they don't have, you know, children before they get going, you know, in the arts or music industry. Any kind of lessons you've learned from that perspective?
1: Well, that goes into more or less the other goals in my book. And that is if you have if you are bound and determined to make that alternative feel your income, you gotta take really good care of your health, your physical health and your mental health. And secondly, is what I call dependence. And if you have children, if you decide I wanna be really famous, and make a lot of money, and I want to have a husband and children. I'm sorry, but you really are going to have to make a choice, because I don't know if one men can do it much easier than women. But I don't know of one female superstar who ever made it, who already had a child. Your focus tends to be that child,
0: right? So we've talked a little bit about money and kind of how you get money coming in, but another challenge you'll know is you know the money that goes out. And particularly, people will struggle with living within versus beyond their means. Right. What lessons have you learned around
1: spending? I would say the two biggies are easy credit cards and your living conditions. People will, and a car, people will choose these things, living beyond their means to look good for others you just can't do that. And nothing is forever. I would never buy a new car anymore. I don't care if it's beat up or whatever. If it gets you from point A to point B, don't don't get an expensive car. Where you live, as long as it's safe, don't worry about what other people think. But then the credit card's... I have good credit because I pay my bills and all that. So you get all these credit card offers. And I I don't know, I've just got too many, but I have finally learned in my old age that I only use one and I keep two more as a backup. So that's what I would advise is don't overextend yourself in those areas.
0: Yeah. And, you know, the challenge with credit cards is it's not really your money.
1: That is an interesting way to put it. Absolutely. Right. You're
0: borrowing it. You're borrowing, you're borrowing it. Borrowing someone else's money.
1: Yeah. And then the interest
0: Exactly. And you're not borrowing for free.
1: Yes. And <laughs> I think I could have gone to Italy for all that money <laughs> that I paid them in
0: interest. So now um mainly what we wanted to talk about today is health and particularly mental health and well being and i know that's a major focus of your book health management and well-being so why don't we start with the different areas of health that you've found throughout your life to be really important to focus on and how you've done so
1: exactly and again now you start getting into the uh, my opinion thing but physical health if you're if you don't take care of your physical health daily you're going to be i'm 77 and i love to announce it and i'm still going and it's because i was not a drinker or a smoker and drug or just i don't know why but i wasn't and i think that has helped me have the good health i have today except that i don't exercise enough so i have my flaws as well secondly is your mental health if you have to be honest with yourself if anyone has ever told you you're alcoholic if you are smoking if you're taking illegal drugs. You have a problem there that's going to affect every other aspect of your life, and you can't make good time. time choices, money choices, husband choices. Everything else is going to be messed up if you don't take care of those. Spiritual and moral, again, that's my opinion. I don't know if other people would throw that in there, but I think that's an important thing. And emotional, which uh, which is kind of tied to other. they're all inter- intertwined. Right. And now in your industry, I know
0: you would have met a lot of people who struggle with alcohol and drug abuse and other types of addiction. I mean, what, what have you learned from kind of your experience in your field seeing kind of the impacts of those addictions?
1: The saddest thing I've learned is that they're all gone. They die young. Because the Smoking and the drinking and the drugging will take its toll, like that interest <laughs> on the money. It doesn't come without a cost. And most of them have passed away. I have watched people who wanted to heal literally quit the job where I'm working and move to the country, away from New Orleans, to be away from the temptations, if you will. But they got healthy, and they're, they're healthy today. So sometimes you have to separate yourself from the temptations, get help. I've known people who simply stop drinking on their own or if you have to go to AA. But uh, be honest with yourself. If you've got these problems, quit making excuses about why it's okay to smoke. You might as well, and many of them are like vegetarians. And I said, you might as well just eat a big cup of lard (laughs) because if you're smoking, you're killing yourself.
0: Right. Yeah, you'll, you'll see people, you know, who, who look objectively when you look at them, they look so healthy, they just come from the, the gym, they've got the perfect physiques only to light up a cigarette as soon as they get out of the gym. Makes
1: no sense to me.
0: Right. Okay, so let's shift to emotional and mental health. And one of the areas I wanted to talk about in in the industry, I mean, I guess another thing in the arts and the music industry is you do have a lot of people who also struggle with mental illness. You know, of many different shapes and sizes, and how how do you go about you know dealing with or coping with or
1: managing you know mental illness? When, when if you're talking about having to deal with other people who have these problems, I've stopped getting uh, angry with them. I've stopped judging people. They have their own reasons, and I have to detach. And I have to quit getting emotional about They may be taking it out on me personally. I have people who take it out on me, their insecurities, lack of achievement that they really wanted to, and they will take it out on me because I work in a situation where you do have collaborators. You're not by yourself. And detachment is what I've learned. It is, this isn't about me. They have their own set of problems, and this is the way they're reacting to it. And then you have to look at yourself. Am I one of those people? And boy, has that been an inventory because I am just a perfect storm, several different kinds of mental illness situations. And I'm not ashamed to say mental illness. If if I had an allergy, I would hope someone would tell me you need to see an allergy doctor. If you've got mental, emotional situations, no shame in saying I want to go see a therapist. I need help. Right.
0: Now, Henrietta, you've lived a long, rich life. And in your industry, you know, they use the expression, the show must go on. So I know the show must go on, but I can imagine there have been many times where kind of emotionally you may have had feelings that it's very difficult for that show to go on and to make that show happen and get there on time and perform and delight your audiences. You know, it can be more of a challenge sometimes than others. So I thought it would be really interesting to go through some of the, you know, stories you talk about in your book related to your life and how you've kind of grown and become stronger emotionally. Starting with, how do you um, manage um, if you have problems focusing or you're prone to distraction?
1: It's a constant challenge. You simply have to keep telling yourself subliminally focus Do not run over there with that thought. Stay focused. And and that is something I'm still working on. I I lose focus. I get afraid. I get nervous. I get distracted by a a light or a sound. I have to focus back. And uh, particularly, I'm doing these shows, and I get so nervous that I forget what I'm doing. So it's more or less, don't be afraid. You can do this. Focus.
0: Now, we all we all have bad days, and sometimes we have long stretches of bad days. What about, you know, performing and entertaining when you're depressed or you're, you know, having mood swings, for example? Right,
1: right. The worst, one of the weirdest examples was my father died, and they called me right before I was going on the show. And I said, please don't tell anyone, because my best therapy is just to get up on that stage and, and get through this day mm-hmm. and not think about it. And... uh." I don't know, you just, in fact, it is my therapy. So I'm unique in that. Again, this is not everybody. Getting on that stage and taking care of other people, making other people happy is how I deal with the day-to-day depression if I have to do a show.
0: Right. And you'll hear that often. People will say that, you know, it's very therapeutic, the performing, and it can even be a distraction or an escape from the worst, you know, trauma or the worst news.
1: And just on a day-to-day basis, I do suffer from manic depression, and and not ashamed to say so. And uh, I try to keep such a positive attitude about everything, but there are days that I fail, and I'm really depressed, and I can even cry and feel really sorry for myself. But the one reality I've learned is it's going to go away, and the quicker I just relax and and accept. I'm in. I'm depressed right now, but it'll go away the quicker that I get over it. And I just say, this too shall pass.
0: Right. Now, when you see people entertaining, they'll often seem so joyous and happy and, you know, delightful. But obviously, there's many facets to an individual. Are you someone who ever gets
1: angry? <laughs> <laughs> that is my per- current goal is never to get angry because I grew up. The two things that we did the best in my family were eat too much and get really angry. I mean, really angry, like breaking dishes, breaking down doors, screaming and yelling. And I don't mean this was episodes. It was, it it was daily almost. It was just true insanity. So I learned very well. I still eat too much. And I was the queen of anger. And I, One day someone made the statement to me, I've always felt we could deal with things better if we weren't angry. And I went, boing. That is is a weird concept, but I kind of like it. And that's what I've been working on ever since. And my belief is that anger is actually the the way we, that is our go-to reaction for many things that are going on in our lives. And so I do try to do that old-fashioned thing of stop 10 seconds and try to let it pass if i have to if it's i'm going down a rabbit hole of anger i just have to detach myself from it but otherwise i just go you don't have to get angry
0: so you have better control of it you don't act out on the anger like you used to i'm
1: saying that now let's hope i don't <laughs> regress <laughs> right i'm a much happier person for it anger only brings you bad results embarrassment the situation becomes worse. I do. Not, I cannot think of one day-to-day angry kind of thing situation that has ever been made better by anger.
0: Right, and even if you're very justifiably angry, angry, when you show that anger, you dilute your message. Exactly, and the focus will become your anger and not the point you're really making. And you
1: start looking bad. Who's going to give you credibility when you when you're off the wall? calm down, give the same message, have the same goal, but just do it in a calm, graceful manner.
0: Right. Now, in the music industry, it's notorious for having a lot of beautiful, talented people, um, yet it can be very competitive and ruthless. What about jealousy? Is that an emotion you've experienced a lot of?
1: To be honest, in my field, I I am never jealous. I either really admire... A, a good musician and want to learn from them or i don't feel anything if they're not particularly talented so i jealousy there is not my issue my issue has always been on a personal relationship basis and i don't know that i've ever learned to deal with that truthfully okay except detach <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: so that might be something if you're going to go to therapy and it were in a problem in your everyday life that your know, therapy can help for something Absolutely.
1: Because like I do know people who handle it well. And uh, I think I was saying earlier to someone that sometimes you have to step back and say, is this a real thing that's making me jealous or my insecurities, my perceptions? I think that would help.
0: Right. You'll also, another thing you'll hear when people work in the service industry or entertainment industry for relationships, which you brought up, is people sometimes advise of it, you know, be careful dating someone in those industries because there's a lot of temptation. There can be a lot of infidelity or deception. Real or or perceived. Right. Tell me a bit about that.
1: Well, in other words, I've known of people who were in the audience watching their their spouse, their boyfriend, their girlfriend perform, you do have to interact with the audience. You do have to be a little seductive. You do have to be flirtatious. But it ends when you get off the stage. But I've seen the audience member, boyfriend, girlfriend, who couldn't handle that. Who were you looking at? You know, and so again, that's number one. Is that sometimes it's not even real, but your insecurities make you perceive something that that your spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend is not even thinking. And the other thing is that there is a great deal of temptation. You have to like the the stars. What's his name? The Kiss guy never married his girlfriend. I think he might have recently, and she had to put up with all kind of infidelity. That's the business.
0: Right. Yeah, and certainly when people go to a show, of course, they want things. You know, they have a fantasy. Some of them may want to be the star. Some of them are there for an escape. Some are there to relax and let their hair down or escape who knows what from their exactly. you know real life. So you know, there is the kind of the escape the that people go to, right? They want to put themselves in a different place, a place that brings them joy without the kind of day-to-day stress.
1: I, I think that's probably what it, the majority of it's about just an
0: escape right and another thing in the as i mentioned it's a very competitive industry the music industry um what about kind of the obsession with beauty or youth or vanity what have been some of the lessons you've learned Because you're, you're exposed you know in yes, your field yes. right there's a lot of judgment about appearance and age yeah. and beauty
1: uh going back to my mother, she convinced me I was ugly. So I didn't even think I looked good until I was 70. So I was never one of those people who based my persona around my looks. I really tried to go with other attributes like my ability to interact with people and empathize with people and sing well and play moderately well and be funny. I always thought I was funny. But my my looks... That was never a high priority, and yet I would have other entertainers that that is their priority, and I worry about them as they reach older age, and they would go, you shouldn't wear those glasses. You look like a school mom, and I would go, I don't care. <laughs> right.
0: Your focus was different.
1: Yeah, and it's a and it's very dangerous to build it all around your looks because yeah. it is not permanent.
0: Yeah, because beauty in that sense fades, if you will. Absolutely. Now, also, with it being such a competitive industry, you'll see people kind of wanting it so badly that some people will do anything, you know, to get there. And have there been times over the years where, you know, you've been asked or even tempted to kind of compromise kind of your essence or
1: values? Right. It's so that's another one is those multifaceted things. If you're in the entertainment business, part of you does think you're pretty uh, good looking, sexy. So that's going to appeal to people, and that also makes you uh, vulnerable to people who will say, I can do this for you if you will do this for me. That is where your inner security has to come in. That, And I'm criticized because I'm one really, really big in that Me Too movement of people who chose to go to hotel rooms and chose to stay in the office and uh, because they were promised a job, a promised security, a promised raising up in the uh, business, even like going on trips with people and sleeping with them and then coming back and saying, now, 10 years later, oh, I was a victim. No, you have the power. Meryl Streep said it. She didn't need to say yes to anybody.
0: Right. Yeah, but that that takes a a confidence in yourself and you and have amen. to really
1: kind of know your you know your own moral. And if they fabric. choose you to to make that compromise that's telling you, I don't believe in your talent. <laughs> so keep that in mind, too. You still may be really, really talented, but that person that's trying to talk you into something doesn't have that same belief in you. So hold on to your own beliefs. Right, and that's a good segue to kind of the last type of health we were going to talk about, which
0: is kind of morality or moral health. Right. So what what is that when you use the term moral health? What are you referring to, Henrietta?
1: It's, it's really not. Actions And, of course, deliberately stealing and, and the regular things that we think about are, are deliberately immoral actions. I'm a spiritual person. I don't ask anybody else to be spiritual. It works for me. But morals, that's the main thing. You can, you can be atheist. You can be Buddhist, whatever. Tennessee Williams said it best, as far as I'm concerned. He was asking an interview, well, what do you think is a sin? And his answer was, I've always believed the only sin is deliberate unkindness. So whatever, I love that. I love that. I mean, is that so simple and so wonderful? I don't judge people for their actions. One of my jokes, people, a younger person will go, I'm really kind of hesitant to tell you this because I don't want to shock you. And I say, honey, whatever you're going to tell me, I can <laughs> one-up you. So don't you worry. I don't judge anybody except for that deliberate de- deliberately being unkind to people right and yet
0: it sounds so simple and it would be so easy yet you see so much unkindness out there
1: absolutely and it's a, it's one of those things that it's still a decision you you wake up the next day and you go i really should not have said or done that if you've got the if you've got the wherewithal to recognize You made a mistake. It is now your decision to say, it may take me some time, but I'm going to stop getting angry with people. I'm going to stop insulting people. I'm going to stop taking ashtrays. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever it is that you're doing that is hurting someone else, it is your decision to stop your unkindness. It's when you get to the point where you don't care if you're unkind to people. That is really immoral to me. Right, and I mean... You can,
0: you'll hear people say some of the most hurtful things and do the most hurtful things. And a lot of people really struggle with and don't have the humility or courage to apologize. So a lot yes. of people, you'll never hear them apologize, no. no matter what they say or do. They can never simply say, I'm so sorry, or even I'm so sorry I hurt you. Mm-hmm. And, and again, that just makes things worse. Yeah,
1: and, and again, I do not know if my solution is correct. Again, we're back into opinions. I detach from these people. Right. If they ever come to me and say I recognize now that I did thus and such that hurt you and I'm so sorry. I literally, you know that forgive and forget? I forget it. It right. like it never happened to me. But if you never acknowledge it, I'm always waiting for you to become that person again. So i the bad person, so I don't want that person around me.
0: Right, kind of like Maya Angelou said, if someone shows you their true colors, believe them. Ah,
1: Mm -hmm. Exactly. And again, sometimes if you regret those true colors and you're willing to change then welcome back into my life.
0: <laughs> right. And a lot of people can change, but a lot of times people have patterns and there's so many times yes. where you'll see those patterns and you'll kick yourself and say, you know, you've given people so many chances hoping or wishing or praying they'll be different and they just aren't
1: No, right. And then no.
0: the hurt and damage and, know, then, and disappointment just continues. Then it's
1: you're the one that's suffering. I have people in my life who still hate people and I go drop it. They're over there having a great time. They don't know you're suffering and you're angry and you're hating over here. One person is being affected and all the people around right. you. Drop it. Right. Drop the hate. Just don't associate with them yeah, anymore. Yeah, exactly.
0: You're you're worried about them all day and talking about them and they you haven't crossed their mind all day.
1: Exactly.
0: <laughs> so now, Henrietta, your book, uh, Good Lessons from a Really Bad Example, is there a particular target audience for that
1: book? I I think that we're all flawed in some way, and I am really flawed, so I'm a great person from whom to learn. I would hope young people might somehow... It's for any age. At any age, we can make our lives better. As I said, I love announcing I'm pushing 80, and I'm still going. I still want to get better. I still I still don't think I'm healed, that I'm correct. I just want to keep learning, and I learn every single day. I wish that... Really, really young people could get my message before they start making. That would be my goal, my dream, is that young people get this message in college or even in high school so that they start learning about money management, time management, health situations. But any anybody is going to learn from my book, I believe. That's very arrogant of me to say. There are a few people who have it all together, but I just doubt that anybody's got it 100% together.
0: But when you think about it, right? It's like how to take care of your time, take care of your money, take care of your health. So you've you've you covered a lot of it in there.
1: And then there's and it goes on down the line of of one of the things that I mentioned was before was a friend told me that he let a drunk friend drive him home. Well, you're you're putting a four goal ahead of your one goal. You could have gotten killed that night because you didn't want to hurt his feelings. There are times you got to be strong enough to say. No, I have to take care of myself. Right, you know they'll say
0: the road to hell's paved with good intentions. Good intention. Good I don't want to hurt your feelings,
1: so okay, I'm gonna get in the car with you drunk. No, this is a decision making book, so quit doing that. Go get a taxi for both of you if you love them that much. You know? right. No, that's a really good example. So when you
0: say good lessons from a really bad example, is the bad example kind of a joke, or is it that some of those? <laughs> some of those lessons took you a long time to learn. Oh, I'm still
1: learning, still learning. Right. And as I admitted, there's some things I don't know. I'm still working on them. But I look back and I go, I have had a magical life. I have had a really wonderful life. And uh, as I, uh, my illusion, I didn't start out with a good life, so I don't think I came from anything. Everything you see is what I've done. My childhood was not magical at all. Somewhere along the way, I decided that I wanted a long, adventurous life filled with love, and that's what I pursued. However, I look at all the tragic, awful decisions I made along the way as far as mates and all the other things that we do wrong and i wonder where my life might be today had i not made those bad decisions and i just want to spare other people and the people i've lost i think that's really important to me the ones who are not even with us anymore because of bad decisions i just if i can help people make better decisions from my bad decisions then then i will have lived a, a leaving something to people
0: Great. Well, Henrietta, I can't thank you enough, not only for your music, which I've enjoyed uh, for 15 years, for your friendship, and also um, with the book for your deeper reflection and your introspection and your ability to put yourself out there, including your own weaknesses and life lessons, which we know isn't easy for people to do. And I know that a lot of people will learn from you and grow from you. So I encourage you to check out the book entitled Good Lessons from a Really Bad Example. And it's been great chatting with you, Henrietta. Thank you so much.
1: I've enjoyed this.
0: This is Mental Reality with Dr. Beach.